What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I'm your host, David V. Lewis. And as usual, we have another special guest who we will interview, learn a lot about, and uh, see what excellent things that they're doing in their walk of life. So today's guest is Mr. Kente Rosser. Kente Rosser, say hello to the world. Hello, world. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored, fortunate to be here. Good evening. All right. So per usual, we like to start off um, just talking a little bit about our guest, um, giving them, having them give a little background about where they're from and that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Kente. Uh, Kente Rosser, educator, born and raised in the city of Detroit, uh, educated in the Detroit public school system. I think all stories uh, that I tell about myself uh, began and end with Cass Tech graduate. Uh, I have to say that. Uh, a proud graduate of Wayne State University as well, undergrad and grad school. Um, you know, I've been in this profession of education for quite a while. I've met some wonderful people. We've worked on some wonderful projects. And uh, I'm honored to be here with you guys, man. I, I see what you all are doing. I see the platform that you're using. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that you all reached out. I was eager. I was glad. And uh, here I am, man. I've uh, I've kind of carved out however much time is necessary, kind of, you know, come on and be with you guys and, and fellowship with you all uh, as we do this work together. Yep, and the honor is is ours as well. Um, so, in in full transparency, we'll we'll let the world know that we are very close personal friends. Um, we met a while ago. Give them a little background on how we came to meet. Man, a great, great, great story, man. Uh, and I don't know if everyone has a story that is as, as unique as ours and what we were able to do. Uh, as educators, when we got together, uh, it goes back to Inkster. Uh, we were all teachers in the Inkster Public School District, uh, specifically at Inkster High School, which, you know, maybe we'll get into that during this conversation, or maybe it'll take multiple conversations to kind of go over that evolution, because what we had was really like catching lightning in a bottle. Um, yeah. You know, many of us in our in our own way have tried to replicate what we had there. And we've been successful in some regards, but actually bringing to scale what we had was very difficult. But, you know, we were at Inkster High uh, together. We were placed on a team together and uh, we've kind of clicked every since. And, you know, we have been, you know, a sounding board for ideas for one another, cheerleaders for one another. Uh, we went from being colleagues to to friends and, you know, uh, hey, you know, like I said, it was like catching lightning in a bottle. And those were the days. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the the course of your career is, is an interesting one as well. And so when I met you, you were a teacher in the classroom. You were an yep. ELA teacher. Right. Yep. So tell the world a little bit how. You, so when I met you, you were teaching in, uh, in the classroom, but you had been teaching. You had several stops before you got to Inkster. And then you, your uh, career has taken a, a different path as well since then. So kind of give the world uh, the path of your, your educational career. Yeah. So when we met at Inkster High School, uh, my prior stop had been at uh, Osborne High School in Detroit. 
Prior to that, I was a teacher at Pontiac Academy of Excellence uh, in Pontiac, Michigan. Um, prior to that, uh, I was in my student teaching at King High School, which is ironic in and of itself because it's a rival high school for from where I went to high school. So that was quite a great experience, very enjoyable one, but it was ironic. Uh, but after Inkster, uh, there were a few other places uh, that I went because when after being a teacher, high school English teacher at Inkster, I then went on to be an assistant principal in the Pontiac Public Schools District at a middle school. From there, I became a principal back in Inkster at Blanchette Middle School. Yeah. And, I, and, and here's where the trajectory of my career gets very interesting, uh, because from being a principal, I actually went back to being an assistant principal. And I, be, I was an assistant principal for an additional six years. Uh, and, you know, as anyone knows anything about the uh, educational field, three years is probably the 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 uh, time span, if you will, of an assistant principal. Uh, but I stayed, remained in that role for six years. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. But in all honesty, I've become too comfortable. Um, so then I've been mm-hmm. fortunate enough to become an, a principal again of a middle school. Um, so my career path has taken uh, it's been quite a trajectory, uh, some ups and downs, some highs and lows, but all very valuable learning experiences. And I always tell people, so far in my career, the best three consecutive years that I've had uh, mm-hmm. has been in Inkster Public Schools um, as a teacher at Inkster High. Those were the three best consecutive years uh, of my career so far. So much learning, so much growth. Um, and it really has materialized uh, for me and for many of us uh, that experience. Yeah. So I always find this question interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask me this, especially students. Um, why did you get into education? What what motivated you to become a teacher? And then and you stayed even with some of the challenges that comes with the, you know, the course that you've taken. So why did you get into education and what's kept you there? Great question. This, I, it never gets old me telling this story. My first year of college, my major was engineering. And uh, obviously, it didn't work out. <laughs> and the reason why I wanted to be an engineer is uh, I have an older brother uh, who, who I look up to, used to look up to, and, and certainly still do. He's an engineer. He's, he's considerably older. He's 12 years older. Uh, so as a kid growing up, I, I, I looked up to my brother, and I saw the lifestyle that he was able to live, a legit lifestyle, uh, very nice income, very nice home, very nice vehicles, very nice wardrobe. And I knew that he was able to do that by being an engineer. So it was planted in me, uh, the seed in my head early on. I want to be an engineer too. But, you know, his pedigree and my pedigree in that regard are not the same. So I made it all the way to my first year of college, majored in engineering and realized this is not for me. Uh, And I made critical mistakes that I've always been open and candid with uh, my students about. Uh, Here's one mistake I made. My first year of college, I was taking classes that were a part of my then major. So of my 12 full-time credits, I took nine credits of engineering classes, which is crazy. How did anyone even let me do that? That's, that's got to be some sort of educational malpractice. Yeah. I'm there spending lots of money and tuition, and I picked the major, and I'm taking nine out of 12 credits in this major. One of those classes was a six-credit class. I dropped that class. Now I'm a part-time student. Now they're telling me I'm going to lose my financial aid because I'm not full time. Yeah. Now I have to double up on credits for the second semester to make up for the credits that I dropped in the first semester. 
It's another mistake. It's a trap. Now I'm overwhelmed with the classes that I'm taking. Now I'm failing classes and dropping classes. Now if I return, I'm on academic probation. Wow. Now I have to make a decision. This is when I was at Ferris State, by the way. I forgot to mention that in my intro. Mm -hmm. Now I'm back home. Now I'm looking for the easy way out. And I remember uh, signing up for this trade school, ITT Tech, and they had an 18-month program. And I remember calling my brother all excited. And I'm saying, hey, bro, I got in, man. It's an 18-month program. They promised me a job at the completion of it. Yeah. And I remember lack of enthusiasm on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to do something else. I'm like, do something else? I don't know what else there is to do. So now uh, I'm in decision. I'm in scramble mode. Uh, now I'm uh, applying for Wayne State University, but I don't have the grades because of my situation previously at Ferris State. Now I have to take a class at Henry Ford Community College. I do. I pass. I'm enrolled at Wayne. And my mind was made up at that point. I wanted to be an English teacher. And, you know, six and a half years later, which is what it took me to graduate, going to school year round, uh, which is what it took. Graduated from undergrad with a relatively low GPA because I had dug myself into a hole. 2.7 is what I finished with. But I persevered through that and, you know, became a teacher. And I couldn't see myself doing anything else other than being an educator. Yeah. Wow, man. Great story of... uh perseverance, overcoming, uh, encountering, um, I would say, like you said, uh, traps. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, that's, that's one thing that we, we tend to encounter is traps and, uh, they're set up and it's about how you respond to them. And so you kind of came out on the other side of it better for it. Um, I didn't hear what, what got you to become an English teacher though, in the story. So, you started off seeking to become an engineer. You go into education. You have to choose a major in, with regards to that. Why English? Great question. So originally when I picked my major and minor, uh, I, I picked uh, public speaking as my major wow. and L.A. as my minor. I'm glad that I switched that around. Essentially, an English teacher uh, any any district that hires an English teacher will, will have that person teach speech as an elective anyway. So uh, we even with or without that minor, you know, the credential of being an ELA teacher kind of comes with it. The byproduct is being a speech teacher. But I would have really limited myself had I been a speech or a public speaking major. Uh, so I'm glad that I was convinced. And it didn't take much convincing. It was just a simple explanation. <laughs> Uh, to switch that around. Uh, as a young person, man, I had a passion for, for literature, particularly for lyrics. Uh, and a big part of my upbringing uh, was spent rapping. Uh, yeah. All high school, uh, I always jokingly say, Big Sean owes me a thank you card because Big Sean graduated from Cass. And I always say that my, my, my generation at Cass kind of paved the way for Big Sean. <laughs> Uh, later and do what he's doing. Big ups to Big Sean. I mean, he's way better than I am, wherever it was. But mm-hmm. jokingly, I say that because that was my that was my youth. Uh, spent and early adulthood spent rapping, making beats. Uh, that that was in me. It's in me. It's in my blood. Uh, still something I, I enjoy listening to. You know the rhythm of it. So that's kind of where I organically drifted towards ELA. 
uh, as a major from, you know, what my passion was growing up and listening to rap lyrics and song lyrics, period, and, and loving to write. Uh, I still have crates on top of crates of notebooks on top of notebooks of, of literature of, of, that I've written and, and raps and songs and hooks and choruses. So uh, that's kind of why I chose ELA. Well, you got to get them things pressed up, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you know, I, 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 that, that's the gold mine. Yeah, I know, man. And I still have a lot of the, you know, it's, it's amazing how music has changed because I remember when uh, ADATS was cutting edge and then ADATS was the, was the next iteration after the real to real. Um, yeah. so I remember being at my freshman year of college and working with some more experienced guys who were my age but had more experience in the studio. And we drove back to their hometown of Grand Rapids to the studio and we recorded the song for a talent show that was recorded on the real to real. So that studio that we went to was the real to real. The next semester coming back home uh, and the studio in Detroit and we're using the ADAT, which was the latest and the greatest. Now it's antiquated technology, but that is just amazing to show, you know, we went from the real to real to the ADAT to the DAT, which was more revolutionary than the ADAT. Yeah. Everything is digital. You know, you can I can make a song on my iPad or my computer or my phone right now yeah. if I wanted yeah. to. It's amazing the way technology has evolved. Yeah, man. Yeah, just in a short period of time. Uh, wow, that's a whole nother show, I think. Yeah. So uh as a good friend of ours say, I don't want to drift. <laughs> so um so your your educational career led you to the principalship. Yes. Um, but there's a this major thing that you've been doing uh, called a think tank, yeah. um, even in the course of your ups and downs in your educational career. So tell the world a little bit about the think tank and you know where the idea came for, from for the think tank. Well, the idea for the think tank came from what we, uh, and I use this term again, organically used to do. We would get together, we would uh, in a rather informal fashion, troubleshoot problems, come up with ideas, put those into action, give each other feedback, and then invite each other into the classroom to see our respective practices. And it's something that we had already done and we have always talked about. And so just putting the nuts and bolts of that project into play evolved into the think tank. And so it became a very formalized process where uh, seven steps were itemized to kind of come up with solutions to concerns that we know exist in the field of education. Mm-hmm. And it's all predicated upon identifying what these concerns are and then bringing in like-minded people or not like-minded people, just people in the profession yeah. to wrestle and grapple with these concerns and come up with solutions. And we talk and we talk and we talk. And I think it's, you know, normal when you come, when you're talking about problems, they beget more problems and more problems and more problems. So we hold each other accountable. Okay, so what's the solution? There has to be one. Okay, here's the problem. Okay, we go. Oh, okay, that's another problem. So what's the solution? And everything drips back to what's the solution? So what we were able to do is come up with solutions and bring in different people from different schools and different subject areas and different positions and counselors and social workers and consultants and and people who are boots on the ground with these practices. And we were able to bring those solutions to scale and put them into play. And it's worked. 
you know, from the work. And I think I sent something out uh, a few days ago. The, the first think, think tank that we did was four years ago. It's still a very relevant artifact today. If you go on to social media, if you go on to YouTube and type in the organic think tank or the think tank presented by Kente Rosser, and you see any of these projects, which are all up, they're like, you know, it's like a person who donates their body to science, you know, take it, look at it, dissect it, take away from it what you want. Social commentary piece. I don't agree with that. This is crazy idea. Oh, I love this idea. Extrapolate what you feel works, eat the meat, spit out the bones. It's there for you, for, for anyone to look at, to analyze, to critique. Uh, you know, it's like metacognitively. It's like a, you know, a meta-analysis is a study of a study. Uh, yeah. The thing is a conversation about a conversation about a conversation. So as many layers deep as we can go, the better. Uh, so essentially what it is, it's a roundtable discussion. Yeah. Uh, around problems that we know that exist in the field and we come up with solutions. We film that discussion and we show that film discussion to other educators so that they can see what the concerns are that have been expressed and what we propose as solutions and they can propose other solutions or they can identify other concerns that we ultimately will propose other solutions to. So once we've filmed it, once we've shown it, once they've had a chance to look at it, view it and discuss it, they can put these findings into action and we can repeat the whole process. So for everyone who's been involved and hopefully for everyone who's seen it on their own, they found something about it useful and valuable that they can take back to their practice and see if it works for them. Yeah. All right. So great summation of the think tank, uh, the round table discussion. Uh, I think I want to make sure that people understand that it's not just a group of people coming together and talking about all of the problems at once, right? So kind of tell them about how you focus in, how do you control the conversation so that it doesn't go everywhere? Great question. So um, initially uh, in the early phases of a think tank session, if you will, I identify some prominent concerns in the profession and maybe 10 or so concerns that I've identified. Uh, What I then do is send out those 10 concerns or those 10 topics to a number of different educators so that they, we can vote on what the four main concerns are. So now we've gone from a list of 10 concerns to a smaller, more consolidated, concise list of four concerns. And the top four concerns are then pulled out and I send those topics out to people who will ultimately be invited to the discussion. And the reason we do that is because I don't want you just coming to the table to fly, you know, speak from the hip or just shoot off the top, freestyle. I don't want that. What we want you to do is be well-read, well-researched on this particular topic, bring in your artifacts, your books, your your articles, your journals, your notes, and bring those to the table, right? They're not just props that we sit there. They are there to help guide us through the conversation. So once I've given you these topics in advance, and once you've had a few weeks to go through and itemize your research, we then come to the table well-informed about the topic. And where the conversation really gets rich is where we disagree. 
It's where my 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 perspective of this solution may not necessarily jive with your perspective of this solution, but now we engage in this valuable discourse to where steel sharpens steel and we yeah. can come up with a solution even though we're not necessarily on the same page when we sit down. And we've had many of those moments. Uh, and I think that's what makes the think tank as authentic as it is. It's organic, yeah. which is part of the name, the organic think tank. Um, so that's the earlier phases of the process. Like I said, it's a seven-step process. And, you know, probably the, the, the most artistic phase is when we film it and we record it. Yeah. Uh, that has morphed into a documentary. Uh, yeah. So the, one of the greatest artifacts uh, that the think tank has produced is the documentary um, of all of these different conversations in these different settings and footage to support uh, what the conversations are. Because initially it was a very uh, linear approach where we would film a two-hour conversation and show that two-hour conversation all the way through. Uh, what it is now is uh, a montage of several conversations that we have cut and spliced to kind of put with one another. So we may be talking about addressing the third grade reading law in one of the sessions that we filmed at Wayne State University. And we may be talking about uh, resources that elementary students need uh, at one of the sessions we may have filmed at the Southfield Public Library. But now we're able to put those two together so that it's uh, more cinematic in value. And yeah. More is more so views as a documentary would. Um, so it's also entertaining uh, as well as educational. Yeah, so a uh, wonderful project. I thought we had to go into that project to kind of tell a, little, uh, a lot of your story. So the question I have though is, um, if you had all the resources you needed, where would you take the think tank next? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big picture person. Uh, and what I mean by that is I have a vision board. And in this room that I'm in right now is one of my vision boards. And on my vision board is what I want to do career-wise and also with the think tank. And I want it to be global. I, I've, I've been recently researching uh, scholarships or, uh, or, or grants, if you will. Um, and there are some opportunities out there to where I, I can take the think tank and do some work in other countries. Um, and so we've done a little bit of that in that uh, one of the contributors to the think tank uh, is a co former colleague of mine, uh, Trey, who lives in England. He's an English teacher. He's from, uh, he's from America. We actually went to high school together. We used to work together. Um, and so he has contributed to the think tank on a couple of different sessions. Um, and so I've always envisioned going to see him to maybe get some on the ground footage and interaction with him. And he's in England, as I said. But I see the think tank being global because one of the things we discovered is there are problems that need to be solved around the world, yes. right? So, and it's not in isolation. It's not that distinct to schools in America or schools in Michigan or schools in a particular city in Michigan. You know, some of these extend beyond borders. Yeah. You know, I remember speaking with Trey and one thing he always says is that kids are kids. We have cell phone issues in the classroom here. They have cell phone issues in the classroom there. We have issues with kids not wanting to maybe adhere to uniform policies or expectations. They do as well. You know, those are very surface issues, but the point is that there are concerns, problems that need to be solved globally. And so that's why I see the think tank as a, a, a global tool. Um, yeah. And we go beyond the borders that are those of America. 
Yeah, and if I may add, there's problems outside of education yeah. that could follow a seven-step process like the think tank to address in whatever field that they're in, right? Yeah, indeed. All right. So Kente Rosser, uh, a.k.a. Ross the Boss, the name that I give you, uh, <laughs> you started off as a fledgling uh, college student and then bounced around and got yourself through college, started off in education and teaching and uh, got into the assistant principalship and principalship and back to assistant principal and back to principalship, right? What's next for Kente Rosser? Ultimately, the long game is to be a superintendent. And, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm relatively young in age, but also relatively experienced in my career. Yes. I simply say this, I, I, I theoretically could retire at a relatively young age. Uh, so even after retirement, what will be next? Uh, so the long game is to be a superintendent, but the longer yet game is to work somewhere in academic America at the university level to help groom teachers to become teachers, because that is also something that's on my vision board. And that's something I don't have to wait post-career to do, because I can start grooming future teachers right now. Definitely as a principal, that's, that's my role. But I'm speaking even younger than that. I would like to identify some middle school students or some high school students who may potentially want to be a teacher one day, because we have to appeal to a younger constituency if we want to keep this profession alive, particularly alive in the form of African-American males, which right now is a very low percentage, small percentage. Two percent of us uh, in this profession are are African-American males. So who's going to appeal to those younger potential students, particularly younger African-American males, but younger people, period. So I can start that part of my journey now. Uh, appealing to younger kids, middle school age, high school age, to groom them to become teachers. Uh, but the longer yet game, as I stated, uh, university level, uh, working with uh, aspiring teachers um, and helping them along their way and their journey. Uh, but I do want to be a superintendent. Uh, I do see myself doing that work. I think that's very valuable work. Uh, it is very uh, difficult work, but challenging, I should say. Uh, I, I think that what I've done so far in my career um, has prepared me uh, for a time such as that uh, to be a superintendent. And uh, we will see what the cards will hold in the future. Uh, but I'm always a big proponent of working hard for what you want next, but mastering the level that you're currently at. Um, and I have big goals, big dreams for where I currently am uh, and my role as a principal. And I never want to lose sight of where I am for ambition of where I want to go. Uh, so I'm very excited about the role that I currently have. Um, and as I, as I was kind of stating to you all anecdotally before, uh, I'm kind of in the process of reconstructing my swing. Um, you know, I've come to a few realizations as a leader. Um, I, I've rethought what leadership is. You know, uh, younger as a leader, I thought that uh, metaphorically speaking, being the loudest person in the room, um, having the loudest voice or the final say in something made, made you a leader. Uh, yeah. It's not a lot sign off on it, you know. Uh, again, metaphorically speaking, I don't mean literally being the loudest voice, but, you know, we, we, we have a certain posture that I think we think of when we think of leadership. Um, mm-hmm. But I've realized over the years that leaders come in very many different forms. And oftentimes, um, I don't want to sound lazy, but the less you do, the more you do. Um, the more you empower those around you, the more of a leader you actually are. 
Uh, and that's kind of how I came up. You know, uh, someone saw something in me, saw some of my ideas and gave me a platform or put me over a certain committee or had me chair a certain team or, yeah. uh, you know, I kind of helped groom me as a leader. And a lot of times as a leader, you don't want to relinquish that. You think that having that control is what makes you the leader. Uh, but what I've realized is empowering others and allowing them to flourish and bring their ideas to the table and helping to support them and their vision. Or when they come to you with an idea that you may not think will work, helping them to kind of see some of the aspects that might make it work and then support them along the way. Um, so that's kind of what I've learned along this administrative journey. Yeah. Man, what a powerful message, a uh, powerful lesson for people to learn of the world that's listening to us right now. Um, the, the, the point of understanding, pouring uh, resources, pouring advice, pouring wisdom into others and allowing them to flourish is probably the best form of leadership. Yeah. And when we reference back to Inkster, that's uh, what happened to us at Inkster, right? Uh, people poured into us, provided us with resources, and it's paying dividends years later, yeah. right? We're all in different spots and we've all benefited from that experience. So, so that's just a great lesson. All right. So there's a few things I want to uh, address before we get off. The think tank, does it have a social media uh, presence? Is there a way people can find it on, the, on social media? Yeah. So you can find the think tank on YouTube. Um, the organic think tank is the YouTube page. Um, and that's where you'll find all of the, the projects that we've done. It's, it's, it's quite a bit of content up. Um, and there's other content that's in the works uh, that will be completed and added. Um, and right now, that's the only presence that there is on social media. So on YouTube, the organic think tank. All right. And if someone wants to be a part of it, are you reaching out to them or can they reach out to you? And how uh, do they, they go about doing that? Yeah, they can absolutely reach out to me at the organic think tank at gmail.com. Uh, please drop me a line. Uh, let me know who you are. Let me know what you do um, in the profession of education uh, so that we, we, when we convene the next roundtable, we can make sure that you're invited, um, that you have a place at the table. Uh, what we've been able to do is, is bring in, uh, you know, it, when I look at the footage, I'm very impressed that who we have assembled at the table and you know the makeup of the think tank has pretty much been uh, there, there's been a nucleus of people who've been there but you know at various events we've had different people and those different perspectives have always added to the rich discussions that we've had so and I, what I want to do to make it more authentic because I've heard this before and I'm a firm believer of it <clears throat> uh, what makes the think tank what will ultimately make the think tank great is when someone who is a critic of the think tank and maybe not necessarily bought into the philosophy of it, sees it, tries it, and it works for them. And yeah. the more that happens, the more authentic it becomes. I don't want necessarily people who would support me initially, you know, that, that's not really proving anything. You know, it's like your mom cheering. Of course, your mom is going to cheer for you, right? Your family is going to cheer for you. But if there's someone out there in educational America who says, I don't think that having a community garden at a school is good for a science or math program, which is, which is one of the staples that we talked about in the think tank. 
but you see what we've done there and you actually go out and try it and you see that it's transformative, that adds to the authenticity of the project of the think tank. So I said that to say this, I don't necessarily have to have known your work with you for you to be a part of the think tank. If you feel as though you have something to contribute or if you feel as though there's a concern or problem that you wanna solve and you feel that this is the format for you in which to solve it, please reach out um, so that we can, you know, of course we wanna vet the person, the individuals, um, you know, do our research and make sure that they are who they say they are, but absolutely invite a man uh, to the round table discussion so that we can continue to solve problems. Okay. So it's been a great discussion. Uh, uh, Kente Rosser, I think you represent what this podcast was designed to do. Um, we like to demonstrate Black excellence in all walks of life. And uh, I think it's good for uh, young men to see somebody like you, who's still relatively young, and the, the trials and tribulations that you were able to overcome and strive and to become a leader uh, in so many facets, not just from your professional principalship, but also in terms of the think tank and that nature. And then the aspirations that you have for greater leadership. Um, I just think you're a fine example for that. And one of the things that we do here at Dripping in Black is we, uh, we ask the question, have you ever been on a magazine cover? Uh, no, I don't think that I have. Okay, that was a bit of a long pause. Is there something similar to that that you've uh, had experience with? No, uh, no, I've never been on a uh, magazine cover, newspaper cover, not, not the cover of anything that I could think of. All right, well, you are on the, the cover, the Dripping in Black uh, magazine. So okay. Sean is putting it up right now. So take a look at it. Oh, okay. Okay. And I, I look like I'm deep in thought <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. So that's your, uh, that's your edition of the Dripping in Black magazine you made to cover. Thank you, man. I'm honored. I appreciate that. That's a good picture of me. I like that. Uh, like you almost got that off one of my social media. Thank you for that, though. Very, yeah. very thoughtful. Of it's a little Malcolm X's, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's frames. It's all in the frames. Yeah. So we we got so much more to talk about, but we'll have to leave it there for this particular episode. So I want to thank you again for coming out and showing support to the podcast, and just look forward to having more discussion with you in the future. Hey, man, I thank you guys for having me on. Uh, I love that you all are using your platform um, in this matter uh, to highlight and showcase the greatness that is. I'm honored that you all would even reach out to me to be a part of that. Uh, and thank you all for having me on. All right. Take care. Up next, we have a message from Anchor and following the last strip. All right. Thanks again to Kente Rosser for gracing us with this presence here at the Driven in Black podcast. Uh, hope you enjoy that conversation. Very, very passionate young man about education and leadership in education. But we have reached the final segment in our podcast known as The Last Drip. Uh, today, we're going to learn about Dr. Arthur Jefferson, 
born in Alabama, but raised in Detroit. He attended DPS or Detroit Public Schools. He attended college in Highland Park and Detroit. In the 60s, he earned his bachelor's, master's, and PhD from Wayne State University. He was an educator in DPS, Detroit Public Schools. Um, His career in education began, Kente would like this, as a student teacher at Cass Technical High School. Uh, He would go on to teach at Miller Junior High, as well as Henry Ford High School. He would then go on to hold several positions at the college level before moving into the administrative ranks. In 1975, uh, by unanimous vote, he would become the first African-American superintendent of Detroit Public Schools. He also became the leader of the fifth largest school district in the United States. Some of his accomplishments during this role, uh, the construction of and equipping of five vocational tech schools, like we used to call it Votech. He formed partnerships with major corporations, the labor unions, and institutes of higher learning for DPS schools. Uh, He implemented new curriculum for schools like Renaissance, Bates Academy, and Go Lightly. He revised the high school graduation requirements and student achievement increase during his tenure. For 11 years, Jefferson served with distinction as the superintendent of Detroit Public Schools, setting a standard for those like our guest, Kentate Rosser, who seeks the superintendent's role in his future, setting a high standard for them. Detroit's own Dr. Arthur Jefferson is this episode's last drip. Thanks to ISSUU.com, Detroit Walk to Fame.com, and libraries.udmercy.edu for the knowledge. As always, get up on your Black history. It is vast, it is excellent. Don't leave it to the schools. You can learn a lot if you seek it. But until next time, as always, be good, be good, be good. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production. <laughs>